scripture here at 6. Now, Nehemiah chapter 3 is where we're going to go, but I need you to go first to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When you think of a church, we normally imagine... We normally imagine... Um, that uh, when we think of a church, we normally just imagine chairs and people and nothing. We imagine people are just there as spectators. But if we could get in our mind a, a, a different thought, we can get in our mind that a church is, is workers. A church is wall-to-wall workers. It's people who are busy. It's people who are not just watching, but they're, they're working. And so, and, and it's what we can do together that I want to focus on this morning. Uh, while you're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there are, I hope you realize, there are many benefits to being a Christian. I don't mean in name only. I mean being born again, a child of God. The priceless benefit of being forgiven by God. You see, your mother may not know all the things you got into. Your husband, your wife may not know all the things you got into. Your best friends may not know, but God knows what you've been into. And if anybody's got to be made right with, it's God. And forgiveness of sins is available for anybody. And I mean all forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to tell us to try harder. He didn't come to show us how to live better and, and keep striving to become uh, more and more worthy of heaven. No, he came to die in our place. And by his substitutionary death, taking our place, we can walk away forgiven. So a lot of benefits being saved. You know, my records, I'm not just forgiven. My record's been deleted. Uh, I, I, I still think forgiveness is a wonderful thing, but justification is better because God raised me up to a level where as if I'd never sinned before. Now, I still sin, but I, the Bible word is justified. How about the gift of eternal life? Jesus said about Lazarus, who was already dead, he said to Martha, he said, he that believed in me, though he were dead, yet shall he never die again. He will live forever. The gift of eternal life, this body's going to die. Well, Stinks so bad they got to put it into a grave somewhere. Am I not gone? Well, thank you. My body is going to stink so bad they got to put it into a, um, uh, a casket and bury it six feet in the ground. But I'm going to be more alive than ever in a place called heaven. Think about the blessings of being saved. Uh, you know, the devil can't steal anything that God gives you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. You get a peace that passes all understanding. It's something you'll never figure out. A joy that doesn't make sense because it's not your joy anymore. It's God's joy in you. The list goes on and on and on. The truth is, it's great to be born again. That's what a Christian is. But let me tell you this. Those are all parts of what we are as believers, but what we do as believers is pretty awesome too. You know, we don't do things on our own anymore. I, uh, the only reason you heard about the little rabbit and an elephant, they came to one of those rickety swinging bridges. As they came to that rickety swinging bridge, they started to go across that thing, and that big elephant, boom, boom, and that rabbit going, boom, along with him. When they got across that bridge, that rabbit looked up and says, we sure swung that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> rabbit did nothing, and I'm the same. You see, when I'm working with, with the Lord, when I'm doing anything that he asked me to do, he's swinging the bridge, I'm just going along, amen? But the Christian life, as I do things, is no longer me doing it, it's him doing it through me. 
And you got to think about what we do as believers is pretty awesome. We can see marriages rebuilt. I don't like marriages falling apart. I hate divorce. I don't like the fact that marriages are, are, are like sand and relationships are just throwaway today. It is absolutely gut-wrenching. But you know, as believers, we can, we can actually have an impact and help people so that their marriages are rebuilt. You can't just ignore the problems. You've got to fix them. We can see lives put back together. I've seen what sin can do to people. I know what the internet, I know what drugs can do to people. And I know what Jesus can do and how Christians can, can love and minister to and help restore lives that were absolutely in pieces. We can see addictions put away forever, amen. Why in the world, why in the world have any hope if you're an addict, if it weren't for Jesus Christ? I mean, no wonder there's so many people who'd commit suicide. They have no hope. But there's hope in a person named Jesus Christ who can put an addict uh, uh, into, into a state where they are free from that addiction. How about winning the lost? You know, believers, one person, we don't need one soul winner, folks. We need everybody winning souls. What can we do together? We can win the lost. I talk to somebody and they look and they go, American. And they won't listen to me at all. Weston goes up to them and they can't shake him. See, when we all work together, they may reject you, but then somebody else comes along and gives them the gospel and they go, I like, I like what I heard you say. When we work together, you can win the lost. And you can start churches and turn our world upside down when we work together. We work as a body of believers. Now, our memory verse from last month, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm a little bit behind. <laughs> Just happens sometimes. This was supposed to be my last message, but then Brother Jim showed up, so I had to put it off for a week. I loved your message last week there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 says, 6 says this, I have planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, it focuses our, our, our rationalization. We need not only the Apostle Paul's. Now, how, how impressive was the life of the Apostle Paul? This guy's amazing. Turned from one of the most aggressively anti-Christ person to one of the most passionately preaching uh, evangelists of all times. Somebody who could go into a town, preach, get stoned... <laughs> Get, get beat up, thrown in jail, and then when he's kicked out of, of the town, a church is thriving. That's Paul. But we need not only the Apostle Pauls, but what else does he list there? Another guy, what's his name? Apollos. We can't just expect, oh, pastor, oh, Brother Dan, oh, Brother Andrew, oh, they're so polished, they're so effective. No, we need everybody. Everybody. We need all of us. Uh, you know, we, we, last week we learned about that bedridden man of palsy who was brought to Jesus by how many men? Four. Uh, you know, uh, if you've got four friends, I mean four friends who do anything for you, you're a wealthy person. And these guys did whatever it took. It took four of them to do it. We need, what if one of them says, you know, I'm tired, I'm going home, this isn't working, and three of them trying to carry, and then one of them says, I'm going too, and then two of them trying to carry the guy. We, they, he needed, that man needed all four working together and the, the, the church is not about one, two, three, four, five really polished, really um, uh, capable people. It's about the whole church doing something together. Now, if only we saw what we could do together. Only if we saw what we could do together. I'll show you. Uh, Nehemiah was determined to build not just a city wall, but he was trying and he was going to build a community of builders. 
What do I mean? I need you now to go back. We talked about 1 Corinthians, but go back to Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Before Psalms, Ezra chapter 4, verse 3. We're going, to comp- we're going to show a comparison between Ezra and then Nehemiah. They both were nearly about the same time, a little bit earlier. Ezra was. Nehemiah comes on a little bit later. But Ezra has a challenge. Nehemiah fulfills that vision. Look at uh, uh, Ezra chapter 4, verse 3. Now, without going into all the context, I just want to jump in here. Ezra chapter 4 and verse 3, but Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, ye have nothing to do with us. Now they're speaking to, just by way of background, they're speaking to some guys who want to interfere and want to stop what what they're trying to do in rebuilding the temple. He says, you have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. We don't need your help. But underline these words, but we ourselves, what's the next word? Together will build on the Lord God of Israel as King, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Notice these words, we. Ezra's not saying, I didn't say that. He said, we, and then he puts it and he says, and when I say we, I mean ourselves, not we, including you. He said, there's a line here. You don't, you, you, you don't want to be with us. You want to stop us. You want to interfere with us. You want to you make us like you. No, no, we ourselves, and he puts it on, it's like he's repeating himself, isn't he? Driving that point home, we ourselves together, we will build. Now, that was his goal. Now, they didn't quite accomplish it. They kept hitting uh, uh, conflicts and opposition. So Nehemiah comes along, and look at Nehemiah chapter 4. Go to the right, Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. I love these five words. Right at the beginning, Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. So built we the wall. <laughs> Ezra says, we're going to build the wall. And Nehemiah says, so built we the wall. And the wall was joined together into the half thereof for the people had a mind to work. Notice the words there again. See that word we in there again? Nehemiah's not taking the credit for it. He's saying, we're doing it. And we built we, we, we put this thing together and we built the wall, which was a monumental task. Three kilometers of wall, um, 21 th- feet thick, 15 feet high. Three kilometers of it. And they had a mind to work. Now, what had Nehemiah done? He took a desire and he fashioned it into a reality. And that's what church is. You come to church, what's the purpose of going to church? I know you want to live right. I know you want to get right. I know you want to love your, your wife or your husband right. I know you want to do all those things and you have a great desire. But let me tell you, we get together so that under the word of God, the hammer on the anvil of the word of God, as it just chips away at your heart and your stubbornness and your misunderstandings and your struggles, and it just lays it bare. And then you cry out to God, God, teach me something today. Show me how to be different. And when that happens, all of a sudden, it's fashioned into, we restored our family. I got my mind back. I got my son back. I, I was able to get a job again. I was, able to, I was able to go a full month without ever, ever picking up a cane. Amen. That's what happens. So, what, what is a church? It's, it's a community of builders who build one another. We're not here. And isn't it easy to tear down one another? I mean, here's, here's a bunch of ladies and they're 
looking at a new person coming in, they're dressing them down. Oh, yeah, I've seen that dress at Penny's. <laughs> I mean, you don't even have to think about it. You're going, yeah, I, I know, and I've seen lots of people wear that. I would never be wearing that. What am I saying? I mean, I'm making fun, but I want you to understand what I'm doing. I'm trying to show you we know how to tear each other down. Let's learn how to build one another up. Let's, let's become builders. So, there was no I in that effort, by the way. There's no, there's no Ezra, there's no Nehemiah. It's we. It's, it's just getting this thing together where it's, it's us, ourselves, together. Now, um, let's, uh, let's go to Lord in prayer, and I'll just get into preaching. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the challenge this morning to move beyond our, our own way of life. And we learn to live the way of the Master, the way of Jesus, who didn't just show us a way to live, but he enabled us to live. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for the Bible. I thank you for every page of it. We don't have to just stay in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can go back in Nehemiah and see such great, amazing challenge and truths and promises. But we need to hear it. I hate the fact that I'm going to do my best this morning and a lot of people are going to switch off. They're going to go away the same and it shouldn't be that way, God. Right now we have a chance to make a decision for eternity. Help every person in this room make a wise decision. Especially in their relationship with Jesus Christ. There's somebody in here who's counting on their Catholicism. Counting in their baptism. Counting on their goodness. Hoping in their faith and not trusting in Jesus. Today they can get born again. I can't give it to them. They can't find it in this room. They're going to have to look unto you. Lord Jesus, they're going to have to cry out to you. And with all their heart, all they have to do is believe you. Lord, you say that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let somebody cry out today. The rest of us, let us get busy building. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Going to Nehemiah chapter 3, before I get into the chapter there, uh, I want you to go to two portions of Scripture, Genesis chapter 2, because I've got to lay the groundwork. A lot of people don't know what I'm about to tell you. A lot of people haven't heard it. And that is this great revelation. Are you ready? Hold on to your hats. We were created to work. <gasps> What did he just say? Genesis, please. Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. No wonder a woman has to clean up after him. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And now jump down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To dress it and to keep it. It means he's supposed to prune it, water it, uh, uh, weed it. He's supposed to do everything it takes so that garden is beautiful. So nothing happens just by accident. Weeds happen by accident. If you're going to have a beautiful garden, you have to work it. So God made man and then put him to work. You think he's walking around in the Garden of Eden just going, ah, ah. No, no, no. He's digging. He's working. He's getting his fingernails dirty. And he loved it because that's what he was designed to do. That's what we are designed to do. 
Uh, hold in your place. Don't go to 2 Thessalonians yet. But I want to say this. Life is work. And women ought to say amen to that. Life is work. And I don't know if you've read the research, but they talk about certain pills that help you. They talk about certain foods that help people. They talk about certain mental exercise. Let me tell you, when you work, when you have a job to do, when you have a, a, a task that, that you interact with people and you're, you're out of the house and you're picking up something and carrying it and you're building something or you're helping somebody, you're a lot healthier than the person who's sitting in front of the television all day. I mean, that's just revolutionary to some people, but I don't care how many vitamins you take, <clears throat> I don't care how, many, how much you, you um, uh, mentally are doing yoga in your house, you will not be anywhere like somebody who is outside digging a hole and then another one and then another one and then putting posts in it and then running wire across it, making a fence. It is a fact that you were made to work. You were designed to work. God designed the body, human body to work hard, by the way. And when you were a kid, remember when you had muscles, or at least you thought you did? Look, Papa. Look, look, look. <clears throat> there, is, there, is, uh, uh, there is something to be said about sweat. Now, ladies don't sweat. They perspire, I know. <laughs> but there is something about doing something, and when you're finished, you're like, and it's done, and you've, you've worked hard, and it, it does something for you in every way you were designed to work. Now, gentlemen... Sometimes you think, well, she was designed to work. <laughs> I do. I work at home, outside, and she works at home. You know, don't get this idea where, where you know, um, uh, there are there are women's work and there's men. There's work, folks. And sometimes a woman's busy working all the time, and you come home and you neglect her. You are hurting her because you're not picking up stuff. You've thrown your clothes all over the corner for the last thirty years of your life. It's time to pick it up. Amen. It's time to join and work. Say, well, it's not my job. It is your job because it's work. It's called helping. It's called ministering to one another. God designed you to work. Well, I've been working all day long. I'm now going to sit down and watch a little bit of the TV four hours later. You're still relaxing, and she's been working all day and working all night. Say, what are you getting on? I'm just, I don't know. I just thought of this, and I'm going with it. Amen. We need to work, ladies and gentlemen. We need to work together, and we need to stop saying, well, you know, I, I don't do the dishes. You don't do what? I bet your wife say, well, I don't go cooking. You're not going to live very long. <laughs> Amen. Amen. When it was hard work, yes, it is hard work, and we have not raised our next generation to work hard. Amen. You've got 10-year-old children who've never picked up a shovel. Amen. We have 15-year-olds who have no idea what's in underneath the bonnet of a car. Amen. Uh, to, a, to, a, to anybody born after 2001, everything's magic. <laughs> Amen. I just punched in my friend's name, and boom, it's magic. They answer. They have no idea how it works. They've never picked up a phone and rotated a number. <laughs> Now, you say, what am I saying? All I'm saying is this. We've, we've gotten to the place where very few people know the value of hard work. And let me tell you, if you're going to be a Christian for very long, it's hard work being a Christian. You say, I just can't live it. It's hard. I, I just can't do it. Of course you can't. It is hard. But God designed you to do hard things. Amen? God designed you to do hard things. 
uh, used to be a general rule of life that everyone was expected to work. <laughs> but not today. People want a basic income. They want welfare no matter what. Now, there are times where people need to be taken care of, when people can't work. But if you can work, you ought not to live off of others. Amen, amen, and amen. Take your Bible now. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're really spiritual this morning, aren't we? Amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm just getting started. Second Thess you weren't going for lunch anywhere today, were you? Second Thessalonians at my house. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell my wife. Put the soup on, honey. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. Here's a very simple command. For even when we were with you, this we suggested. Is that what it says? This we commanded you that if any would, if any would not work, neither should he eat. Everyone was created to work. Secondly, we're saved to work. Now go to Ephesians, because I'll go back to Nehemiah in a minute, but Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, let me, while you're going to Ephesians, these men and women in Nehemiah, in the city there, with all the walls that were torn down, destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, these men and women were rising every day to a new challenge. They had to figure a new way to, to move rubble better and to, to, to rebuild these walls. These, these men and women had to learn, uh, these were working right next to each other. They weren't, well, you know, I need my bubble. Nina and I were talking to somebody the other day, one of our neighbors, and some people don't respect your bubble. You ever notice that? I mean, Brother Dan, come over here for a second. This is Nita, all right, and me. So I'm, where's, we go up, we haven't met this guy, and this is, this is like him, all right? Now, you're me, okay? Uh, come up here, I need you for, for Nita since she's not here. But, uh, okay, so this is me and Nita, and this is our neighbor. Now, we love our neighbor, okay? And we've talked to him, we, we've talked to him a lot. But anyway, this is how he is, okay? So I'm talking to him, but he talks to my wife. Now, he's an older guy, he's okay, so I'm not going to slap him. But he goes up there and he goes, well, you know, like this, like this. And my wife's backing up, back, back up a little bit. And so he just gets closer again and then gets closer. <laughs> and I wanted to say, respect the bubble, brother. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. Some people are like that. They just want to make sure you see them, hear them, smell them, whatever. I don't know. Wow. But you know what? Sometimes the people you're working with, they don't respect your bubble. Amen. Adapt. Love them anyway. So, um, they, 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 they were um, laboring in so many ways, talking about they created a work. You know, these, these men and women had to be husband and wives still. They didn't stop being husband and wife when they started building that wall. They still had to keep mama happy. <laughs> still had to do things as husband and wives and families. They still had to feed their kids. They still had to they were adding eight to ten more hours of work a day. Still had to make time for worship, for prayer. There's a lot of work going on. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. I want you to look at these three verses here. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are ye, that's a good Bible word, what is it? Saved. Amen. Say, what are you saved from? From hell. Saved from the punishment of my sin. For by grace, God's grace are you saved through works. Is that what it says? No, it's through faith, and not not of yourselves. Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we stop there, and we go, okay, there's no more works. Amen. There's not. To be saved. 
to be forgiven, to become a child of God, to be made right with God. But after the, you're saved, look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You ever seen anybody working on something with plasticine clay and stuff? And they're, they're showing off their workmanship. Well, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We were saved to do good works, which God hath before ordained that we should now walk in those good works. So the truth is this, we were saved to work. Now, back in Nehemiah, if, if, you'll, if you'll go there with me, well, let's go to Ezra. We'll go back and forth. I'll try to keep you standardized in just a moment here. Ezra chapter 2. Just before Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 2, verse 64. Ezra 2, 64. Now, the whole congregation together was 40 and 2,303 score. Wow, what could you do with that many people? You could build a city, couldn't you? There were 42,380 had come back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem. They were going to start with the temple. These men and their families had been supernaturally freed from captivity. These were the, same, these were the descendants of families who had been taken captive, had been... Um, so traumatized by Nebuchadnezzar coming in and pulling down every stone of all the walls around Jerusalem and of killing and slaughtering men, women, and children and taking captive everyone, some of which were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those people, Jeremiah, all of those people were taken as slaves back to Babylon. But here it was, 90 years later, and Cyrus the king says, you can go home. You're free. Now, that happened without an army, that happened without riots, that happened without petitions. You know how it happened? God. You know, if you ever want to realize how you got saved from your sin, it wasn't because you were good. It wasn't because you were, you were uh, striving to be better, because you were in church every day. You know why somebody gets saved? Because of God. God, watching just somebody crying out, saying, God, I want to be free. And the Lord says, I can make you free if you'll trust my son. Boom, it's done. So these, these 42,380 people, in a, in a picture, just like, or as they say in, uh, in sign language, similar to, like as, uh, yeah, that's one of my six words I've learned. Anyway, uh, is they are just like us in their freedom. They were given freedom. They were allowed, you can go home. You can do whatever you want. You know what they did? They lived it in ruin and defeat, though. They went back, they strived to try to rebuild the temple, and it failed. It took years to just to struggle. Out of those 42,380, so few actually helped. They all went back, and the rubble, they just got used to living in the rubble. And there's too many people who you get born again, and you're still watching the same old rubbish, and you're still struggling with the same old thoughts. When, you're, when you were saved to be free, Free from that sin. You were, they were freed not to go back, and if we've already gone to it, we don't have time. They were living in a city of rubble, and they had lived that way for decades, and they didn't care. They were, they were set out uh, and made free to live as free men and women in the middle of the will of God, back in the promised land. That's the life of the Christian. 
Same is true for every believer in this room. Folks, your, your Christianity is no game. It's no place of entertainment. It's no luxury hotel to relax in now that you're saved. You come to church, you just want to sit back and go, ah, this is the life. I aim to tell you, I aim to upset you. Because the life is, is not this two hours that we have tea and fellowship and preaching. Christianity is hard work. And that's what it is. And when we realize that, that we're saved to work, it's not so bad. By the way, there's a lot of work to do amongst the body of believers. Amen? You know, when I married my wife, I thought I married Miss Perfect. And when she married me, she thought she married Mr. Perfect. I keep trying to convince her I am. <laughs> it doesn't work. But you know what? We found out we both needed to work with one another. Amen? Well, I'm not putting up with her anymore. Then you're, you're doomed. It takes work. Amen? It just does. I had this cute little baby. Woo, look, she's going to be a perfect doll. Three weeks later, take her back. Take her back. She doesn't sleep. All she does is eat and poo. Yeah. It takes work, amen? You know, when you became a mother, you became a mother to work, amen? When you got married, gentlemen, you didn't get married to get served. You got married to serve, amen? Ladies, do not gripe and complain over how much you have to do for your husband, for your kids. That's what home is. That's what life is, amen? Now, in reality, the truth is here, only a few of those 42,380 actually did anything. Isn't that the same? I mean, if I asked, how many are saved? How many are born again? And then I said, how many are doing something for God? How many are in a ministry? How many are helping out with Sunday school? How many are going out and, and, and help going soul winning? How many have a burden for the lost? Isn't that a shame? It's not right. Very little was accomplished in those 90 years under Ezra. Nehemiah comes up later, and when he shows up, boy, does he motivate him. Amen. Amen. Third, <clears throat> we are gifted to work. Now, you've got to see these people. Go to Nehemiah chapter 3. Go to the next book right after Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 3. So in verse 1, it says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren... They start building the sheep gate. Verse 2 says this, And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded a guy named Zachar, the son of Imri. Now, if you were to read through all of these, you'd be surprised. Because you've got to see the people listed by name and, and, and groups for what they are. You know what they were? They were just plain people. That's all they were. They were ordinary men and women, sons and daughters. They were just people. They were farmers, merchants, servants. These are not people who were talented in building superstructures like a three-kilometer long, 15-foot high, 21-foot wall around Jerusalem. They were not capable of building such a superstructure. But here they were, doing the work, as if they were meant to do it. Many people in this room have a lot of wonderful talents. Some can sing. Some can make money. Some are artistic. I, 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 uh, I never knew, I've seen such talent, in, especially young people, in their drawing ability and their visual arts and stuff like this. Incredible talent. I draw stick figures. 
There, it is amazing talents that people have. But so few Christians realize the Holy Spirit of God gifted them with some ability to serve others. Go to Romans chapter 12. Hold in your place here, Nehemiah. We'll come back. But Romans chapter 12, in verse 4 and 5. Romans. Romans 12, verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one member is one of another. What's he describing? All right, I've got, I don't have just one finger. I have ten. I just have one toe. I have ten. I just don't have one ear. I have two. I have lots of different members to my body, don't I? as you do too. So he says there in verse 4, since we have so many members and yet we're one body, and all those members don't have the same office, I like how 1 Corinthians says, what would it be like if the whole body was an eye? That would really freak me out. I mean, there's just one eyeball looking at you, and there's, there's, there's 100 eyeballs rolling in and rolling out every Sunday. What if the whole body were just an eye? Or what if the whole body was just an ear? Paul's really showing some great humor there. He's saying, no, we need every part of us, amen? I need my little pinky. I can't get in there any other way, amen? I need my little pinky. I need my pinky toe. I need my appendix. I need every part of me. Don't take one part away, amen? <laughs> and the church is the same. They say, oh, so-and-so, they can't sing. Oh, so-and-so, they can't. You know what? There's nobody who is not needed in a church. And, and when you got born again, he goes on, you were gifted. You say, I don't have a talent. A gift, a spiritual gift is different than a talent. We think, oh, wow, I'm waiting on God to strike me with lightning so I can sing. You won't sing. You'll scream. That, you don't need special gifting to sing. You need special gifting to serve. Look at all these gifts here in Romans. Look at how he describes them. There in verse um, 5, he says, so we, being many... Different people are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. We're part of a bigger body, one of another, having then gifts, not talents, differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy. That's me. I'm sitting up here. I'm not telling you your future. I'm telling you the future. I'm preaching the Bible. Whether it's prophecy, the gift of, of, of preaching the Bible, do it according to the proportion of faith. When I was uh, 17 years old and I got saved, I was quite happy sitting. I had a church. Our, our church had three sections there. You had, the, you had the left section, you had the right section, and you had the sinner section, center section. Sinner, that's what I'm joking. Anyway, and I sat in, in the, the right section there about halfway, and when I got saved, I thought I was just going to, that's where I was going to be for the rest of my life. I just sit back there. And I noticed when we changed the room, you all went back to the same place you found where you normally sat when we were facing that way. <laughs> I was content to sit right there until a missionary got up and preached and broke my heart and showed me a world going to hell and needing somebody to go. And at that point, I said, I'll go, but who are you talking to? I was timid. I didn't. I never had any aspirations. I would pass out if I ever had to do what I'm doing right now. I wouldn't breathe, palpitations, I would die. I would die, and yet here I am. How'd that happen? A gift? 
The only way you do it, folks, the only way is because God enabled me. Here he goes on. He says, verse, uh, um, verse 7, or ministry. Ministry just means serving. Let us wait. You ever heard of waiters and waitresses? Well, let's wait on our ministering. Let's just serve in our serving. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Oh, I can't teach. I bet you can. If God ever puts it on your heart to do something, I like how uh, Brother uh, Jim just used that verse there in Matthew. Uh, was it Matthew 9, wasn't it? Matthew chapter 9. Some people don't believe in the call of God, and they're arrogant. Because here's the truth. Pray ye therefore the Lord that he would send forth labors. God calls people. And when God calls you to do something, to teach and to, to stand up in front of kids, God will help you. You will stumble over words. You'll say things wrong, and the kids will go, wow, you're so smart. Because <laughs> they don't know any better. Folks, let me tell you, when, when you're serving, if you're teaching, just teach. Verse 8, if he that exhorted, aren't you glad to have somebody who just comes along and puts her arm around you and says, keep going. I'm praying for you. I love you. I, I, I think you're, you're going to do awesome. That's an exhorter. I mean, if you've got that gift, use it. He that giveth, some people just love giving. They just love, if they make money, they just give it away. That's a gift. Let him that doeth simplicity, don't broadcast it. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I just, I got in a new job and I just made 400,000 euros and I'm going to tithe today. <laughs> don't come, don't come. Do it with simplicity. Never, ever sit there and make a big deal of what you can do. Just do it. And he that ruleth, that's managing, with diligence, do it, do it uh, carefully, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, do it with cheerfulness. You're gifted to work. <clears throat> I like that. I like that. You see, spiritual gifts are not meant for us to show off. I have the gift of preaching. You know what? Uh, if you're going to preach, just preach. Uh, if you're going to teach, just teach. Don't be, well, pastor, I'm not... I'm not recognized enough. I don't think anybody realize. Nobody needs to realize it. You're doing it under who? Under God. Amen. Don't, you're, not, you're not given that gift so that you can show off. You know, if you had a talent to play piano, I've seen them. Are you watching me? Look what I can do. Woo, I can play. That's, not, that's a talent, folks. If you're serving the Lord, nobody will notice you. That music will cause them to think of Jesus. That music will cause them to worship God. They go, I don't know where the music came from, but I focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Every day when, when, when Mona's playing the, the piano or when Gina is helping or when um, uh, Elizabeth Bartlett is doing it, it is awesome. It is such a gift to us. But it was God's gift to them to step up and to do that. Whether we ever recognize them or not, they're a blessing, aren't they? And they're using their gift, not just their talent. <clears throat> These gifts are, are given to minister, to help, to serve, to benefit, to build up, to improve someone else instead of tearing them down. You know, we imagine that if you're spiritual, then that means you can walk on water. No, no, no. Think about, think about the gifting of these, these people who were picking up bricks. How much, how much spiritual power does it take to pick up rocks <laughs> and place it on a pile of mortar and then to pick up a trowel and to put it on top and to keep building up stones. Doesn't take a real spiritual person, it just takes a willing person, doesn't it? Amen. How spiritual do you have to be to carry a wheelbarrow back and forth? 
Same is true with, uh, with, with Christian people. How hard is it to mow someone's grass for them? Amen. How hard is it to pop in and check on somebody and see how they're doing? Amen. That's a servant. How hard is it to get a D1 bus license to help drive our church bus and pick people up for church? You don't need much talent. You just need a little bit of time, a little bit of grit, and to help drive the, the bus and pick up people. I found that whenever, whatever needs to be done, there should be an abundance of helpers. There should be 42,380. But only a few showed up there in Jerusalem and worked with, with Nehemiah. You never find Nehemiah complaining either, by the way. Now, I've complained. I'm a little less spiritual than Nehemiah. <laughs> but Nehemiah took what he had and he got the job done. That's a good group. Uh, we read there in Nehemiah chapter 4, it says they had a mind to work. So the problem is rarely in inability. The problem is whether you have a mind or a heart to work. Now, every believer in this room is gifted to minister. But you'll never know what it is. I've had, I've had dozens and dozens of people sit down with me, Pastor, tell me what my gift is. And I look at them and I go, I haven't a clue. Just jump in. Why don't you go sit in on the teaching? Why don't you go down to 12 Weeks to Freedom, sit there and work with Tony, go soul winning with Tony, come out on Saturday, go soul winning. Try everything. Find out which one thrills your heart. Amen. Everybody wants me to come along and just go... You are going to make a lot of money and give it to God. No, <clears throat> that's not what you need. You need to just start giving. And when you just start giving away money, giving away things, and being a blessing to others, you find somebody's in need, you just secretly meet that need, and you go, that was fun. All of a sudden, the Lord gives you some extra money, and you go, I'm going to give that away now and find out what happens there. Boom. And you just do it, and you find out, that's my gift. That's what happens. You find your gift by trying as many of them as you can. That's how I found it. Now we're called, go to Nehemiah chapter 5, fourthly, to work together. Now this gets hard. Nehemiah chapter 5, in verse 16. 516 says this. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall, neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. All the servants, all my servants were gathered thither. Now, I want you to go to chapter 6, and I'll show you where this is going in a second. Chapter 6 and verse 3. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I live it and come down to you? Now, what am I showing you here? Nehemiah was the head honcho. He was the Tishuk. He was the pastor. He was the bigwig. He was the really important one. And he had servants. You know what he had his servants doing? Building the wall instead of serving him. You know, when, when people came up to him and says, we need to have a meeting, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says, I'm busy. He says, no, no, it's important. He says, why should I stop my work to come down to you? Because if I stop, everything stops. My point is this. Everybody was working. When we work, it's not like... There's 15 of us over here, Brother Dan and me and Andrew. We're supervising. You know how that works, don't you? No, 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 no. We're called to work together. Everybody working. Go back to chapter 3. Look at all the groups of individuals. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1 says, Again, Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren. Verse 2 says, And next him builded the men of Jericho. 
Verse 3, but the fish gate did the sons, plural, of Hassaniah. Verse 5, <clears throat> and next unto them, the Tekoites, plural, repaired. Verse 7, and next unto them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite, and Jaden the Maranothite. There's a termite in there somewhere. And the men of, and the, here's the point, and the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah. Go to verse 12. I like this one. And next to him repaired Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. And who else was with him? He and his daughters. Run down to verse 13. The valley gate repaired Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah. So it's of a whole, the inhabitants of a town nearby called Zenoah, they built it. Turn down to verse 18. After him repaired their brethren, and he lists them, Babai, the son of Hadad, the ruler of the half part of Keilah. Next to him repaired Ezer, on and on. Go down to verse 22. Just see this one here. Is it verse 22? Nope, there was another one. 32. And between the going up of the corner of the sheep gate repaired goldsmiths and merchants. What am I showing you? Everyone worked. Everyone worked, not just a few. And, and there's something, some characteristics about these workers. Number one, they worked under Nehemiah. They weren't their own boss. And you can always tell a good church where everybody's working and they've all got the same vision. And it's not just, well, I've got my plans and I've got this going. No, 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 no. We have one vision. We want to build the kind of church that Jesus started. We, can, we want to help people the way Jesus helped. We have one way that we do it. And they did it under Nehemiah just like we do it under Jesus Christ. Everyone worked. They had to get along. Now, I'm dead serious. One of the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people was you're to love one another. Now, I know we worry about the commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, but Jesus gave a very strict commandment. He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. You know what that means? You have to love one another. Well, I don't like so-and-so. I know. But you know, Jesus still commands you to love. Because every time you learn to love an unlovable person, two things happen. One is you learn how God has to put up with you and love you. And secondly, you learn how to love better. Because we think we love great. I'll tell you, I'm married 33 years this month. 33 years. And I'm telling you, the first decade of my marriage, I thought I was the bee's knees. I was such the smooth Don Juan. I mean... I, I, I've told this example lots of times. I would buy my wife flowers for any reason at all. And I'd bring them home and i go, honey, I love you. She said, I don't want flowers. <laughs> anyway, I love you, honey. I just couldn't conceive a woman not like flowers. So another, so i say, well, maybe she needs more. So I'd buy her more flowers. Honey, I really love you. Thanks, sweetheart. But let's, let's, let's put the money into a, a, a little jar and let's save the money for a holiday. I go, you need more flowers. You say, how long did they go on? Ten years? <laughs> I took forever to get she doesn't need flowers. She does, it's not that she doesn't want flowers, but do you understand what I'm saying? I had to learn to love her. I thought I loved her. I thought she would appreciate my love. I didn't know how to love her like she needed me to love her. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when I am forced to love somebody that's hard to love, I'm learning how better to love. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in a church, we have to get along. Now, I know some of you over here won't talk to them over there. Let me tell you, I'll get along. <laughs> if you're going to ever do something 
for God, God is going to put somebody with you you don't like. I guarantee you, it just happens. It just happens, folks. I could preach this for an hour of, and, and for a month of Sundays. The will of God is not that you get along with everybody easily. The will of God is for you to get along. End of story. Love one another, sacrifice one another, serve one another, bless one another. Even your enemies, bless them that curse you. Amen. So they had to get along. Everyone had a place. As, we were, as, as, as we've already gone through, and I'm rushing through this thing here, just giving you the principles. As, as Nehemiah looked around those walls being built, everyone was in their place. The guys over here weren't running over there and interfering with them, and these guys weren't going over there and talking about the match last night. And there, there wasn't all. The, they were in their place. They were doing their part. They had a position to work, and they worked as a body. Go to Ephesians chapter four. Still, we'll come back to Nehemiah again. Ephesians chapter four, in verse sixteen. Now, this is very important. Four ways that they work together. Well, number one, as a body. Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and verse 16. Start back in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him, into a likeness of Jesus in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, who is the head of the operation in the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah, all right? But we're not trying to be like Nehemiah now. Who are we trying to be like? Christ. He's the head. Even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. How many of you know what joints are? The joints between your fingers. Aren't you glad that when somebody holds your hand, grips your hand, that they can't pull it off? <laughs> You're not taking, no, sorry. Think about it. The joints in your body are compacted together. They, are, they hold bones together so that you can reach down. You think of the, the abilities of your hands. When you pick up a bar or you pick up a, 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 you know, a weight bar or you pick up something and your fingers don't rip off. You know why? Because you have joints and sinews and tendons that pull against the pull and hold things together. That's what Christians are. When the pressure comes and, the, and the, the spiritual battles are fierce and the darkness hits and the, the, um, the discouragement overwhelms and the defeat is just certain, Christians just pull together. That's a body. That's what a family is supposed to do. That's what a church is supposed to do. Work as a body. He keeps going. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part maketh increase, it makes it grow, the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know what, this, this arm, it gets hurt. You know what this arm does? You shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. What did you go and do that for? You know what this arm does? It coddles it. It protects it. And the whole body just wraps around that arm that's been hurt. That's what Christians do. We supply the needs of one another. Now, that's what they were doing back then. Here, um, <clears throat> we, we work together as a body. We work together like a farm. I don't have time, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read there, it says, one sows, another plants, another waters, another sows and plants, another waters, another reaps. What's going on? It's a farm. One person can't do it all. Same is true in a church, like a sports team. You know, um, 
no one player can score all the points. And no coach likes to have one super player in the team. You know what it does for the rest of the team? It discourages them from trying. They just leave all the goals to one guy. Amen? You know what you need? You need the whole team realizing they're all important and they're all pulling together to get that goal. And we're like a team. And lastly, we're, we're like a family. Taking care of each other, watching our backs. Like I say, love one another. I don't have time. That's what this church is. Church, all those things working all together at one. Um, finish up here. We're blessed when we work together. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, in verse 20. Now, in verse 18, Nehemiah writes, he says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us, this is now that crowd out there in that city, in that midst all that rubble, he's motivated them. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Verse 20, Then answered I them and said to them, The God of heaven, he will what? He'll prosper us. He'll bless us. He'll help us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. And he says to the enemy there from verse 19, he says, But you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Do you know you're blessed when we work together? Nehemiah knew the blessings of work. He had worked faithfully for King Artaxerxes back over in, in Babylon there. And he had, uh, in Persia, he had uh, just been faithful and worked most of his life there, and his faithfulness, his integrity, his, his earliness coming into work, his staying late, everything about what he did made it so that the king and his wife trusted him and says, so what is it you want to do? And Nehemiah says, I want to go back to Jerusalem and I want to rebuild a city. And the king says, you can do it. He earned that kind of trust because of hard work. He knew the blessings of hard work. And he knew that God would bless all these people's efforts. You know why? Because it wasn't for them. It was for the next generation and generation after that. He wanted to rebuild the city so that the people of God could have a city again. And it was for God. You know, he knew the promises of the book of Proverbs. Listen to this. Proverbs 10 says this. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. That's a lazy hand. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 10, verse 16 says, The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked tendeth to sin. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. It will always disappear. But he that gathereth by labor, that's where you get the increase. Work pays. And the apostle Paul knew it too. He knew the blessings of hard work. He said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Colossians 3 says this, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. There's a reward. There's a blessing when we work together. And here's the last point. We will reap if we faint not. Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Back and forth today. I know. I'm not just staying, but I wanted to give you the, uh, the really good uh, applications here. 
how it's all Christian, how it's all New Testament truths found in the book of Nehemiah. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Read it aloud with me, will you, when you found it. Galatians 6, 9. We'll just read the verse. Ready? And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, there was a constant push from the outside to quit. There was a constant effort. And we'll look at it next week when we start to look at our enemies. But the they Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and all these gang members, <laughs> they were ancient gang members, we're putting the pressure on, trying to discourage the people, get them to quit building that wall. And there was a constant effort to get them to quit. I find it happened today. I just wonder, you know, I know people are under pressure, but people, I, I, I find Christians who haven't read their Bible in months. I find people who quit making a priority to get their kids out to church. Well, you know, we've been busy all week, and yesterday we were out there, and they were just too tired today. You won't make a priority for them to come to church now. They won't make it a priority to come to church later when they're, when they're in charge. People quit on their marriages. They quit trying to struggle against sinful habits. People quit just about everything good unless that, well, I don't feel like, well, feel like it, man. So church are not being started, and the churches that are uh, going are being ignored and left to die. You know, I, 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 I grieve. Um, over in England, every month, 20 churches close, and they're turned into discos, libraries, museums, and left to fall apart. That's wrong. You know why that happened? Because some people who used to be there sat there and never got busy. A church that doesn't evangelize, what does it do? It fossilizes. There's a constant push. We're constantly, everything is against us. It's just a normal thing. And a church dies when its people neglect to do the work that's needed for it to thrive. Nehemiah knew. That if they just stayed the course, they would finish. Now go back to Nehemiah. i got to do this verse. Told you I was finished. Just believe me in a minute. <laughs> Nehemiah, chapter 6, and verse 15. Show you something. Now, he didn't, he didn't know this yet, but he was able to write this, and it was a blessing for him to write. Nehemiah, chapter 6, and verse 15. So the wall was what? Ooh, you like it when something's finished? You like it when, I remember my dad, the most torturous thing my dad would ask me to do was to weed the back garden. Now, our garden was at least 4,000 acres. That's what I thought. But the garden was this section of our back garden. I mean, we had a garden in our garden there. You had the grass. But there was a section of the garden that my mom never planted. But every once in a while, she would get into the desire to plant something, so my dad would always make me keep it weeded. I thought, what a dumb dad. <laughs> Mom, not planting anything. And my dad said, weed the garden. There's nothing more mundane, more idiotic, more time-wasting than weeding a garden, at least in my mind back then. But you know what? I'm going to tell you this. When I finished... You never met a happier 12-year-old. 
because I was done. I came in, I said, I'm, you could have heard me for three blocks. I'm done. <laughs> I never want to do it again. But let me tell you, the thrill of being finished is awesome. Amen. And he says, so the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month. In how many days? 52 days. Took them 52 days. You know why it only took 52 days to build three kilometers of wall? Because they had enough workers and because they had a mind to work and they stayed at it and they didn't quit. Amen. A church is built and, and marriages are built and families are built and relationships are built when we stay at it, when we desire and we say it's going to be better and better. We just got to stay at it. We just got to keep going. We just, just keep working. Nehemiah knew that if they just stayed the course, they would finish. And there's a reward for finishing as a Christian as well. Paul says this. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 7. 2 Timothy 4 and 7. Second Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I have, what's the next three words? I finished my course. Isn't that what your doctor tells you when he gives you the antibiotics? Finish the course. That's a Bible phrase. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. You know, that didn't happen by accident. Go back to uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts 20 and verse 22. Acts 20, 22. Paul is surrounded by some brethren there, some Christians in Ephesus. He's getting on a boat and he's headed to Rome. And he's going to go through incredible trials and troubles. He says this in verse 24. He says, but none of these things move me. I know what I'm headed into. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. 2024. So that I might, what's, what's his goal? His three words, what are they? Finish my course. But he adds on. I want to make sure I do it with bitterness, right? <laughs> but with joy. And finish the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, 2 Timothy is written after Acts, you know that? So 2 Timothy didn't happen by accident. He finished because he decided that he was going to finish. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. He sees you. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and them who are the called according to His purpose. There's a reward for finishing the Christian life too. You know, I don't want to ever be the used-to-wuzzer. Now, Brother Jim knows what a Euster wuzzer was or is. A Euster wuzzer is somebody, well, I used to read the Bible. Well, I used to go soul winning. Well, I used to, I used to. I used, don't be a Euster wuzzer. Stay faithful. Don't ever quit anything. Don't ever quit anything. There's a reward for finishing. I want, when I walk into heaven, I want to have done my best. I'm never, you're going to find fault along the way. You're going to say, Craig, you blew it. Craig, you're a mess. The whole way, but my focus is I'm going to finish. Amen? Folks, we're saved to work. We are gifted to work. We are called to work together as a church. We are blessed when we work together. There's no greater joy than when we've done something together. 
We'll reap if we faint not. So I got to ask you this. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for everybody in this room to sign up for duty, sign up for work. Not to be saved, but because you've been saved, now you want to live for Jesus. Works can never save anyone. Not even the best, most religious, and most passionate works you could ever imagine. They're worthless compared to what Christ did. Only his life, only his death and resurrection in your place can open the door to God's heaven. But once you've been saved, once you've been born again, and your, your life is now focusing on the life of Lord Jesus Christ, you need to find something to do. So you need to make a decision. One of three things this morning. Number one, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. You're trusting maybe in your priest who have believed for you, trusting in your mom or your godparents. They can't help you. You need to make the choice. You need to decide today to be saved. It's time to make a decision. You need to make a decision. That's salvation. That'll be the greatest day of your life. I was born the first time, the 20th of February, 1963, but I got born again the 15th of June, 1980. You asked me which one was the better day. One of them I remember. <laughs> one of them I, 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 there's never a regret. Number two, you need to make a decision to join this church. Not just be a spectator, but make it your church. Be a member of the body of Christ right here in Balancholic. That's integration. See, there are some people who sit along the sidelines. They never get busy. It's time to get busy. It's time to say, I'm going to be here every week. I'm going to be a member of this church. Amen. And the third thing, to get busy doing something as a servant of Christ for the kingdom of God. That's the Christian life. No matter how hard it may be, no matter how the struggle and sacrifice may be to try to get out and to do things for the Lord, you know, Sunday evenings aren't that hard to come to. Wednesday evenings actually are a blessing to come for Bible study. No matter who you may have to work with, no matter how long it may take trying to serve other people. Again, I'm telling you, I got saved... 37 years ago, almost 38 years ago, and I, there's never been a time where I say, it's not worth it. And that's only by God's grace. I know a lot of people who quit. I know a lot of people who just give up. I don't know what the difference is this, but I can't even entertain it. You know why? Because I want to finish. Because a Christian life is, I'm going to stay busy. 246 in your hymnal. 246. Let's stand with me, please.